So what is the main difference between Catholicism and Protestantism? To some extent, we just hit upon it a minute ago. Um, it's about authority. Um, is, is the Word of God, is Scripture the authority? And it dictates how we live, what we do, how we interact, how we conduct church. Um, or does man have the ability to adjust Scripture? Um, and so, I, I and again, I want to be very careful. I I don't. Um, I say this to a lot of people. I I don't want to lump all uh, Catholics or sure. try to make broad generalizations about Catholicism. I don't know Catholicism, so I want to be careful about that. I mean, I've done a good bit of study on Catholicism, but I have um, kind of lived under the banner of I want to know what I believe um, before, I, and I don't want to be a person who's always critical of somebody else. But yes, I think it is um, the, the primary difference would be, or the foundation of a lot of the differences is the authority of Scripture, that Scripture mandates how we live. It's our standard of truth. It's our only standard of truth and practice, which then moves down into salvation. Um, and so I, I think then you get into what people see is one of the biggest differences between Catholicism and Protestant uh, is that there's a difference on salvation. So as I see it, and I'm, I'm seeing this in, in broad terms, I want to be careful because I am not saying that there, are, there aren't um, Catholics who truly know Christ. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't make that blanket statement. So I don't want this to be misheard. Um, but I would say that in general, if you study the Catholic Church and their doctrine and their teaching, they are preaching and teaching a works-based salvation. And um, so that to me is, but it stems from who's the authority. Are we going to make the Word of God? Because where would you get the idea of a works-based salvation? You're not going to get it from the New Testament as we know, or even the Old Testament as we have it. Um, you're going to see Abraham believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You're going to see Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It's a gift, gift of God so that no one should boast. So, yeah, but that stems from the authority of God's Word. Do I have the ability to dictate or determine which parts are true, which are relevant, or to adjust it? Uh, in any way, shape, or form, or do I submit myself underneath it? So does the church have the authority, to, or does Scripture have authority over the church? And certainly as Protestants, we would see the Scripture having authority, and that was the basis of the Protestant Reformation, was the authority of Scripture. And that was, was that led by Martin Luther? Yeah. 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 And there, I mean, does it, I mean, it comes down to really the Pope and Vatican have kind of the, and that's the church for them, right? Yeah. Of having... Uh, authority kind of alongside Scripture. Is there Scripture, is their Bible the same as a Protestant's Bible? No, they're going to have some additional books, some apocryphal works that are included in there as well. Um, those are books that in the establishing of the canon that we do not see evidence um, or that those who form the canon of Scripture as we have it today uh, left them out for a reason. There was a very strict process by which we determined um, uh, what went into Scripture, and so some of those intertestamental works um, were not recognized, and um, we believe that the canon as we have it is the true Word of God. Um, and it's not that those who produce the canon 
had the ability to uh, determine that those books were divine, but that they had the ability to recognize what was divinely inspired. So we believe that, that God worked in that to illumine their hearts to what was truly divine. Whereas I think the, the, the Catholic Church would say that the church dictates which books are divine. And I think there's a big difference between those two things. Am I seen as a divine or am I determining that it's divine? Mm. God, I believe, determines. It's similar to calling out ministers in the church. The church affirms the call that God has placed on a man's life. The church does not call men to ministry. God calls men to ministry. The church affirms that call. Mm. And there's a difference. All right. Well, if we're talking about differences, what about um, what's the difference between Baptist and a Methodist? <laughs> well, um, primarily they're they're going to. There's a lot of sim- similarities, by the way, mm. as well. But and and here's where you really have to be careful. Um, I again, I would tell somebody don't lump all Southern Baptists together. Okay, right. um, so there's you go to a you you any particular Southern Baptist church, and 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 we as Southern Baptists believe in the local autonomy of the church. Um, there there obviously is the Baptist faith and message that we agree upon and we unite around, but uh, each church is going to have a little bit of different look and feel and even preaching, and there's going to be some differences um, in pastors and some of their theological stands. Um, and I think the same thing in the Methodist Church, um, but I I think you've got baptism as an as an issue, and that that would be a difference between um, us and the um, and the Methodist Church, and then also uh, their ecclesiolo- ecclesiological structure and how they um, how they um, control pastoral leadership and things like that. That again, we believe in the local autonomy of the church. The church calls its own pastor. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I think it would depend on what flavor of Southern, ba- Southern Baptist and what flavor of Methodist you got, and and that would determine probably to a large extent the degree of differences between the two. I say that because when I was in Alabama, um, I um, I knew um, some Methodist pastors and churches that actually practiced baptism by submersion, and and um, or at least gave submersion as an option for baptism. And we're very conservative theologically and biblically. And we wouldn't have had a great amount of difference between the two. Um, in fact, there were people who were very much a part of the Methodist Church and then through one season of life would come back over and go unite with the Baptist Church and see very little difference. Um, but then in other cases, you're going to get a huge difference. And we know the stuff that the Methodist Church is going through today. We see what's what's occurring there. And, um, and so... I think to some extent that the, the gap between uh, the Methodist Church and the Baptist Church is, is actually becoming greater than what it was in the past in many ways. But um, I'm always cautious about um, stepping into those realms of being critical of other denominations. I just want to make sure kind of that sweep your own porch mentality. Yeah, you know, yeah. I got enough problems on my own porch and enough stuff right. to do here than to try to be critical of what somebody else is doing. You don't really know until you actually step foot in the church or, exactly. you, or you even just listen to a sermon. Um, yeah, I, mean, I can't. I, I, honestly, I have only been in a Catholic church maybe, maybe three times in my life. And so I, it would be... Now, I've studied Catholicism and I know historically what has occurred there, but... I just, 
I, I, I'm, I'm very cautious about that. It's like my family, you know, I can make fun of my family, but don't you make fun of me. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I, I, I it, and I, I'm sure that to some extent other people feel that way about, uh, about their denomination. So I'm just trying to try to stick to my family and, and my denomination. And we have our own issues as Southern Baptists. You know, we yep. we've worked through some things recently. I'm very proud of, uh, of our denomination and um, it's why we continue to be a Southern Baptist church. But if there's ever a day where the Southern Baptists get away from the Word of God, we'll separate from them. You know what I mean? We're we're only committed to the Word of God. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I'm just gonna ask this one. So, can you be a Christian without attending church regularly? <laughs> well, um, I think the best way to state that is you cannot have Christ and not have His body. You're going to want to be in fellowship with the church. It's just, it's going to be a part. So it's very similar to um, the Word of God and, and being a Christian and wanting to study Scripture. One of the best ways to see this is a person who is a new believer, a person who has recently given their life to Christ. You will almost always see two very identifiable factors. So as I have an opportunity to pray and help a person trust Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, and I begin that discipleship process with them, in our earliest of meetings, they will often say, I was reading in my Bible the other day, and I will stop. I said, stop right there. At any time prior to faith in Christ, did you have a desire to get up and read your Bible? No, never. And now all of a sudden, you have a hunger for the Word. Yes. That's the work of the Spirit. And the other thing that they will talk about is a desire to be in church, to be with God's people that they never really had before. But now there's something that draws them in in a corporate body of believers where they have fellowship and they unite and they're encouraged and they gather around the truth of God's Word together. And um, so it's, it's hard for me to comprehend, especially as we see in the New Testament church, in the book of Acts, and the formation of the church, how a person could be a Christian. There might be seasons of time where it's difficult to go to church, mm-hmm. depending on your, your, your circumstances. I mean, I know people who, well, for me, the only time when I've had consistent weeks where I wasn't in a corporate worship service is I worked on a ranch in Colorado, a guest ranch prior to graduating college, and we worked on Sundays. And we were at this ranch. We're 30 minutes away from Gunnison and I had to work on Sunday, and I'm telling you, it was it was difficult. It was lonely. I, I I had never experienced that in my life. I mean, even prior to faith in Christ, my parents took me to church every Sunday. Up to that point, I had probably missed church less than you know five times in my life, and all of a sudden, I'm not going. And I can just tell you, it was a season of real discouragement and loneliness. And I think there's just going to be this natural longing to be to be with the body of Christ. Yeah, I think uh, even when we were really trying to find a, a church that kind of checks all the boxes for us, my wife and I, we were just watching sermons of John MacArthur, Grace, mm-hmm. you know, Grace Church, and R.C. Sproul, and that was kind of our church. Mm-hmm. But even John MacArthur said. Church is not watching videos online as I'm watching a sermon. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so if if there are people out there who are in search of a, 
the right church for them? What do you think they should be looking for? Yeah, this is a critical question, and people um, need to be discerning in where they go to church and they plant themselves. Um, Number one, an issue we've talked about a good bit about is, 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 is the Word of God proclaimed from the pulpit, not the thoughts of men, not the opinions of a man, but are you being directed to the Word of God as the source of truth? Um, nobody comes to Lenexa Baptist Church. I pray they're just not coming to hear Chad because I'm a knucklehead. All right, I'm not. I, I mean, you can ask my wife. Um, I, um, you know, I'm not a bastion of wisdom. Uh, my wife's far wiser and smarter than me. Um, I, my parents go to my church. That's, it's a humbling thing to see your parents at your church. My, my mom passed away this year, but my dad still comes. He sits on the front row at nine thirty service. My dad knows everything about me. I can guarantee you my dad's not coming because he thinks, oh, my son's got tons of wisdom to pour out on me. He comes, and it doesn't matter if I'm in the pulpit or not, he comes to Lenexa Baptist Church because he knows every Sunday we're going to say, get your Bible out. We're going to go to the standard of truth. I call it the plumb line of truth. Every week as a body of believers, we're going to line our lives with truth. You remember, I don't know, uh, your experience growing up, we every now and then you would call time and temperature. Did you ever call time and temperature when you were little? You know what I'm talking about. Mm-mm. So there was a back before cell phones and technology. How did you know that your clock was right? You would call. Oh yeah, yeah. You would yeah. call a number, yes, and they would yes. tell you the time yes, is eight forty two. The yeah. temperature is seventy six degrees. I remember degrees. that. Yeah, and and when it, you know, I I did that all the time growing yeah. up, and you would look at the clock, make sure we're right. Um, I said that to a group of young men recently, and they're like, what in the world are you talking about? What is a what, telephone what, what, what that's connected yeah, with what, a wire? Yeah, you, our rotary dial, you know, I mean, just, but we would do that, and you'd find the correct time. Us coming to church is calling time and temperature. It's making sure we're, we're taking our life, and we're aligning it back to the truth of God's Word. So you want to know that there's the truth of God's Word. You also want a church that's, that's participating in the mission of God, so a church that has an outlet of evangelism and missions. We say at Lenexa Baptist Church, if you come for more than two Sundays in a row and you don't see that we're passionate about missions and the gospel, not just in Lenexa but around the world, we've failed you. We're passionate. If a church has no outlet of evangelism missions, it's dead. And a dead body of water, if you have a stagnant body of water that has no outlet, it stinks. And churches that have no outlet of evangelism missions, they stink. They become stagnant bodies of water. And so we have to have that outlet of evangelism and missions. So find a place that's involved in evangelism and missions. Find a place that engages you in discipleship wherever you're at. So that is our call. Go and make disciples. That, that's kind of the standard that we're going to be held to when we stand before God on Judgment Day. So you want to make sure you find a church that's helping you um, engage in discipleship, whether that be maybe you've never been discipled or that's giving you an opportunity to disciple other people in that process because that's what God has called you to do. It's what God's called the church to do. You, you want a church where you experience the power of God through the Holy Spirit. So you need to go to a place where you sense that the Spirit is at work here because we won't accomplish anything of eternal significance apart from the Spirit of God. We see that in the uh, New Testament where Jesus says, don't, don't you go here till the Holy Spirit descends. Um, so you don't take a step. You'll mess the whole deal up. You know, you won't accomplish anything apart from the Spirit of God. You, you want a place that's permeated with par- prayer and, and a place of fellowship where, as we say to young families, we want, uh, we want your family to say that some of my best memories were in church. 
The, mm. the church ought to be a place where we have fun, where we're family. Um, one of my favorite things is after church is to see people hang around. Y- you can almost tell the health of a church by how long they stick around after the service is over mm. because they so long just being with other believers. I mean, we live in a dark world. And you're out there, and so many times you just feel like you're swimming against the current, and it's tough. And that's why the author of Hebrews says, Let us not forsake the assembling together of the saints, as some are in the habit of doing. But all the more as we say, see the day approaching, it's going to get tougher and tougher, and you're going to need each other. You need, And there's that, that fellowship, that hospitality, the commonality. That's the koinonia. That's the fellowship where we share. We take care of one another. We help one another. So those are some of the things that I, I encourage people to say, Look for these marks. Look for these things in that church you attend. Starting with, to me, are they teaching you the Word of God? So how would a a new believer or even a curious person know if a Bible is teaching Scripture uh, in full, in its entirety, or plucking out different verses, uh, adding or subtracting? It's very important that a person talk to their pastoral leadership of a church they're going to join. Investigate. You know, you're joining up with a church. You're committing yourself to being a part of something. You want to know where they stand, and you want to know primarily where do they stand on the Word of God. Do you believe this book? Do you believe in the infallibility of Scripture? Do you believe in the authority of Scripture? Um, How do you walk through Scripture? What's your approach to preaching and teaching the Word of God in this church? Not just in the pulpit, but in the Sunday school classes. Um, so, or discipleship groups. Um, so those are things that people ought to do. You ought to have questions. And if a church pushes back on you asking questions, don't go there. I mean, they ought to be very transparent with you about who they are, what they're trying to do. We, we say, I, I say at Lenexa Baptist Church, I will never try to twist somebody's arm to join Lenexa Baptist Church. That, that's not my job. I, I'll twist your arm to trust Jesus. I like tr- I'll try to talk you into trusting Jesus. I'll never try to talk you into joining Lenexa Baptist Church. My job is to give you as much information as I can about who we are, to be completely transparent with you, to give you the information you need to discern where God would have you to be. Because you're, you're God's child first. You're, uh, he's your shepherd. You're his sheep. He will put you in the local body that he wants you to be in. My job as a pastor, our job as leadership, is to give you as much information as we possibly can as you make that decision. So going back to asking that question of the pastoral team, um, when you ask them, well, what are your thoughts on, do you you agree with the entire Bible? And what if they respond, you know, most of it, but there are a couple of things that we disagree on. That'd be a red flag to me right there. I mean, that, that, and that's just me personally. But I mean, if, if I get, if there's some cracks in the foundation on the truth of God's word, where does that end? It's a slippery slope. You leave any parts of it out, then now, we've, now we're, on a, we're on a dangerous path. So I want to know they're, they're going to speak to me in pretty firm terms that we believe in, the, in the, the authority, the inerrancy, the reliability of all God's word. And we are going to provide you with a place where you hear the full counsel of God's word. And that's what I'm looking for. What if somebody's listening right now and they uh, feel a little tug or this has just been something they've been thinking about and just felt like they need to investigate? What would be that next step they need to take to learn more about Christ and maybe just Christianity in general? I would encourage them, number one, are you reading it? Are you reading Scripture? Are you reading the Word of God? The power of salvation comes from God. It comes from His Word and the Holy Spirit. So... Anybody that has the Word of God in their hands 
has got really all they need to come to faith in Christ. Now, it's a beautiful thing to have some other people around you that know what it means to follow Christ and can encourage you and help you answer questions, point you in the right places. And so I would encourage you to seek out somebody who not just professes Christ, but somebody that around you that you see lives Christ, that you can see some authenticity in their life and maybe ask them to come alongside you as you read Scripture. It's a, it, 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 it's a great way to have a better understanding of who God is, who Christ is, what He's done for you, to have somebody who can walk with you. We all know it's easier to walk a path if you've got somebody along with you that can help you navigate some of those questions. But listen, I've seen so many people come to faith in Christ just by having the Word of God. Don't underestimate the power of God's Word to convict of sin. I mean, I had a friend a few years ago that we were just reading through Matthew, and he texted me one week, and he was not a believer. He was very open with me. I'm not ready. But he started reading, and um, he just texted me one day, are you at the church? I got to come. And he opened his Bible to the passage in Matthew that he was reading that morning. And he had marks on the page where tears had come off his face and, and fell upon that book at that passage and said, at this moment, Christ overwhelmed me with his love, and I can't help but give my life to him. And... All right, let's pray, brother. And I did very little coaching on what it means to follow Christ. Just let the Word of God do the, the vast majority of the work. I, 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 I jump on you, but there's a, just recently, I had um, um, my next-door neighbor. Um, I had uh, shared with him a few times. We talked occasionally uh, about Christ, um, but didn't really get very far. And I continued to pray for him, but quite honestly, I hadn't been a, I, I had not been a great neighbor. I, mean, I hadn't talked to him, hadn't checked on him a long time. Um, saw him outside one afternoon. This is just a few weeks ago. Um, he's putting up his trash can. Um, I, I, I stop him and just want to say hi to him. It was conviction. I hadn't talked to him a long time. How you doing? And um, he said, yeah, I'm doing okay. And the course of the conversation, he, he said, actually, it's kind of wrapping up. I mean, I, I had some places to be. And he said, hey, uh, Great sermon Sunday. I, 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 I don't even know what to say. I said, um, what in the world are you talking about? He said, yeah, you said leave it with God. We were talking about Samuel and Saul and David and David saying, you know, having the attitude, it's not his job to take vengeance. Leave it with God. And, and so he said, that hit me. And I, I, so I said, what, what happened to you? And he said, well... I've been listening to your messages, knew your pastor, listened to your messages, and I've given my life to Christ. Mm. And it's just this reminder that God can save anybody in, in any way he wants. He's not limited in his power and his ability. Our job is just to put the word of God in front of people and let God do that work. Let God convict them. Let God draw them. Let God save them. It's all His work anyway. And it's a constant reminder of God to me in my life. I don't really need you. I desire to use you. That's the fun part about this. I, get, I put you in the game. If I had been God, I would have saved me and said, sit in that corner and don't do a thing. You'll mess the whole deal up. Mm-hmm. But God says, hey, come on over. I invite you in, and you can participate with me in what I'm doing. I love that. Was he uh, listening online or he was listening online? Yeah, the power listening. of technology. It's unbelievable. And I never would have thought, 
I've been, uh, you talked about John MacArthur saying to people who were listening online, go to a church. You need to go to a church. And I, yeah. it's, the, it's a double-edged sword. You know, it's the beauty of getting the Word of God out in that technology, mm. and I'm very grateful. I mean, I listen to John MacArthur. I'm blessed by his ministry. I'm so grateful that we live in a day and age where we can hear the best preachers. Mm-hmm. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At our fingertips, yep. anytime we want to, and be inspired by them. The other side of that is... We, if we're not careful, we'll substitute that for true fellowship within a body of Christ. And so I've been able to encourage him, hey, come to church. I told him, if you come, you got to come sit with me. You know, he says, is that how it works? I said, yeah, that's how it works. You got to come sit with me. But hopefully that wasn't too intimidating. And I'll have a chance to see him here pretty soon. <laughs> what does servant leadership look like? I think the, obviously Jesus was the ultimate model of that. But I mean, practically, I struggle with this as the leader of the, uh, the company that God has blessed me with. I mean, to, on one side of that, there you think of washing people's feet, uh, maybe sitting in the corner and keep your mouth shut and just not giving your ideas or, you know, just being submissive. But then on the other side, is it, you know, when do you put your foot down? When are you a little bit more bold on, on your convictions? Mm-hmm. To you, like, what are some examples or things that, really describe what servant leadership is. Yeah. Look, I think one of my favorite stories on this, and, and I did not hear this story from Josh McDowell. I heard somebody else tell this story about Josh. But uh, Josh McDowell had had graduated from Wheaton, um, and uh, Josh McDowell at that point was a very well-sought-after youth evangelist. So he was being asked to go all over the country and speak to students and um, he got a call from Bill Bright, who was the director of Campus Crusade for Christ at the time, to come out to Arrowhead, their camp out in, um, I believe it was California, to help them. And he was going to bring in college students from all over the United States, and he was going to have Josh McDowell teach him the Book of Romans. So he called him and said, would you come out here, help us to train these students over the course of summer? And Josh was like, wow, that's like, sick him to a coon dog. You know, that's, that's, that's good times right there. I'm, I'm in, I'm in, let's go. So he goes out there, and Josh gets there, and he finds out from Bill Bill Bright, that that summer they were having some facilities problems some um, didn't have a lot of uh, help and, and weren't some budgeting concerns, weren't able to have the amount of staff that they needed. And they asked him, would you be willing to help us with some of the just facilities needs around the campus through the course of the summer? And he, of course, agreed. I mean, what are you going to say? No, you know, said, well, I'll do that. Yeah, sure. Little did he know that one of the greatest problems they would have that summer was with their toilets. They, uh, uh, they'd have a problem with their commodes and and so here he is teaching the Book of Romans, this great youth evangelist, and almost every day he's getting a call to go work on a toilet. In fact, it got so embarrassing to him. He said they would the the some of the students there started calling him Colonel Commode. You know, he was always going to try to help a toilet fix a toilet. And uh, you know, as the summer went on, he got pretty upset about it. You know, here I am, this great youth evangelist, and I'm I'm having fixed toilets. But there was a big evangelism conference coming up at the end of the summer. He said, I'm, I'm buying my time. I want to be at there. There was going to Louis Palou, Billy Graham was coming in, and he was really excited about that. So the night comes. He was going to sit at the head table with these big guys. And, man, I'm, I'm excited about rubbing shoulders with those guys. And he gets a knock on his door. It's Bill Bright. Bill Bright says, hey, we got a problem. Um, we've done some asphalt work, and somebody has tracked tar into the main chapel area, and I, it's just horrible. i got to have somebody clean it up, and I don't even know anybody else to ask, would you do it, Josh? Would you go? And so Josh, sure, you know, he goes back in his room, puts his coveralls on, takes off his nice suit, sports coat, and goes to the chapel area and begins to scrub the floor. And he said, the more I scrub the floor, the madder I got. You know, I'm, I'm ticked. <laughs> Here I am, a great youth evangelist, and I'm yeah. I'm scrubbing floors. Are you kidding me? Are you serious? 
And um, he had determined in his heart, you know, when I'm when I'm done tonight, I'm it's over. I'm done. I'm quitting. So he goes back to his room. I mean, there's no even use to go back to the conference. It's pretty much over. And so he sits in his room and he decides, you know, before I make this decision, I probably ought to read scripture. And uh, so he opens his Bible, and you just mentioned he 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 opens to John 13, and Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And Josh said, sorry, he said, you know, if, if, if Jesus can, can wash their feet, I'm pretty sure I can scrub their floors and fix their toilets. And he realized that that was exactly where God wanted him to be. The, the, the easiest part of servant leadership is talking about it. Um, it. it it's actually pretty easy to write a book on it, too. You could do a lot of things on servant leadership. The difficulty is actually living it. Mm-hmm. And, and here's, the, here's how I know in my life, if I truly have a heart of a servant and if I truly have humility, this is the litmus test for me. How do I respond when I'm not treated as I think my form deserves? How do I respond when people treat me? So I, I pride myself, I'm a servant leader. But then what happens when somebody treats me like a servant? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I can take that title myself, but the true test of whether or not I'm a servant is how do I respond when people treat me that way? And um, mm. that, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's the true indicator of whether or not I have a servant heart. Now, you're right. I think the difficulty for us as, as leaders and leaders in any organization is when do we put the, to, to put the foot down and say that that quality is not right. But you know what? You see that in Jesus too. But he always did it with a heart of love and service. He did it not to hurt that person. He did it to serve them. We see the same thing with our children. I mean, I have to discipline my children. I have to put my foot down and say, that's not right. Mm. But I'm not doing that because of a desire to defend my character, defend who I am. But I do that out of a desire to see them grow and to mature into the, into the men that God has called them to be. And so it's all about the heart. And the heart is revealed in responses to situations. And so for me... Those are the critical moments. It's easy to talk about servant leadership. It's, it's easy to talk about humility. But how do I respond when people treat me like a servant? And um, I pray that even when I have to put my foot down and say, okay, we need to address this. That, that, that quality is not right. We, we, on our staff, one of the things that we talk about is a, is a serious offense. In fact, we would label it a fireable offense is insubordination. Mm. You can't have an organization that's chaotic. Every, every great organization, every institution that God's created is, a, is an, or, an organization of order. But I pray that even in our calling out of acts of insubordination or uh, characters and qualities, uh, qualities and activities that aren't commensurate with our standard of behavior, that even in that I'm doing it with not a heart to punish, hurt, condemn, or even to elevate myself. But I'm doing that with a heart of, I want to serve you by helping you identify something that's going to be detrimental to your life. So, yes, it doesn't mean that we don't put our foot down and identify behaviors and say, that ain't right, and there's, there's consequences. 
But I pray that we're always doing that from the heart to serve and uplift rather than to use and abuse. And we all know the difference. I mean, we can we can see it in in situations where you see a parents who um, their discipline becomes abuse. Yes. And that's the leaders that we're not talking about. You see leaders who are abusive in their leadership, and they will they will do it under the guise of "I'm the authority here." Um, and I pray that even in our discipline we have a heart of humility, service, and a, and a shepherd's heart. Uh, that, that, it's not easy to quantify. It's not easy to, um, there's no, no manual on this. Mm. It's a heart issue, really. And that's why we have to be in the Word of God submitting to the shepherd, Jesus Christ, who's constantly shepherding us, and we're submitting to the authorities above us and in our humility, we're coming to all these situations, hopefully with a heart of service. And, and I, I confess, I've had to repent and, um, and, and ask the Lord for forgiveness because there have been times and situations I didn't respond with the right heart. Mm. But you're a pastor. You're supposed to be perfect. <laughs> oh, I'm far, far <laughs> from perfect. Ask the guys I work with. Um, we're, we're all co-laborers with Christ and... We're, we're all, you know, at the church, we, we say often, we're all patients. There, it's a hospital, and mm. we're all patients. There's only one good physician. Now, there's order. You know, in the home, there's order. And my boys will tell you, Dad, man, I, they know how many times I've had to apologize to them. Mm. Now, I've had to go and ask for forgiveness for my boys on more than occasions I would care to admit. Mm. But I, I, you know what I think? I think that's the heart of a servant, too, who says, I love you. And there's only one perfect father you'll ever have, and I'm not him. Mm. So you've had the opportunity, I'm guessing, to meet many business owners, leaders, even maybe of high stature. Um, After meeting them and kind of maybe getting the idea of who's a really good business leader and uh, what could you tell or share as advice to some of our business leaders who are listening now or even business owners um, of how to be a good one? The, it, it is true. Since I've been here in, in Kansas City over these past um, 10 years, 11 years, I've gotten to meet um, some amazing business leaders, and it's always fun to me to sit and talk with them. Even with you here and looking at your books, it's just because um, I know you 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 work hard at this. You want to be a great leader. You want to be a guy who leads your staff well and your people well. And so I love to pick the brains of men like you who are just trying to live Christ and and do business the right way. The the qualities that I have seen in uh, successful and and I want to you know when we talk about successful, I'm not always saying that they're um, on the Fortune 500 list. You know that it doesn't mean that they might not. When I say successful, it doesn't mean they're the most profitable business. But I would say successful businesses in a in a more um, biblical sense, mm. um, because it really that's a whole other discussion. Is how do we define success? So, um, and that's one of the things I see with, with these great leaders is number one, integrity and character are critical. Um, I remember, um, and I don't think he would mind me sharing this, but, uh, Don Pierce, who founded Pierce Construction, 
and uh, he was a member of Lenox Baptist. I got a chance to know him, and I'll never forget. I mean, here was a guy, very unassuming, very humble, but had had established an incredibly successful. Darren Hyen leads it now. They're a great construction company. But I, I remember asking him what what really has set you apart, and he said, I I I don't know what his. He said, I want to be clear. I'm not trying to compare myself to other construction companies, but I'll tell you what we set out to do. Whatever we told people we were going to do, we did. I thought, really? That's the seat. That's their secret. You actually do what you say you're going to do. You don't know construction. Yeah. And I, I thought, <laughs> yeah, my, my brother actually had a construction project with his practice not long ago. And, yeah. and you realize how critical that is. But mm-hmm. he said, we, mm-hmm. we not only with our customers, but with our vendors and, 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 our, and our subs that we, we yes. paid them on time. We, we got, we, when we said we were going to pay them, we paid them. Even if we had to take a personal hit on it. We would say, we're going to do the right thing, even when it's not easy. Yeah. And it set them apart. And, and what, t- what that told me, though, is, is the deeper issue is that the bottom line of their profit wasn't their ultimate goal. And so it's not the same as the church. We are not a business. So we're, we're not, it's, it's a, and I realize it's a totally different deal. But what we say at the church all the time is my, my goal is not to grow a bigger church. If we grow, praise God, that's awesome. Now, I do have a goal of seeing people one to faith in Christ and discipled and grow in their walk, but, but our ultimate goal, our North Star, is faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Because faithfulness to God will not always equal uh, earthly goods and stuff. Mm-hmm. Christ told us that. And so I think for us as believers, specifically uh, Christian business owners, is the number one goal has to be faithfulness to the Lord. So you know this because I know how I know your heart and I know how hard you work at this. But you could be successful in business and lose your family. Yeah. yeah. And that wouldn't be success. No. That would be that would be succeeding. It would be succeeding at the wrong thing. And I, I what I encounter is a lot of men who, you know, as I say, they climbed the ladder of success only to realize they leaned it against the wrong building. Mm. And so what is our... I just see in the men that are truly successful in their business, meaning they're happy, they're at peace, their business tends to be profitable, they tend to do really well. Um, they're men who say, I, I, and, and women who say, I, we're, we're going to be men and women of character and integrity, that what we say and what we do, actually, that's, they integrate, they come together. And, um, and then we, we make it our goal just to be faithful, uh, come what way. And, and the Lord does tend to bless those people. That's what I have found. It doesn't, all, it doesn't mean there's no guarantee you do this, this, and there's going right. to be financial success. But I have found, for the most part, these people who do this, it tends to go well for them. Uh, David said uh, in, in the Psalm 16, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. You ever see those people and you, you look at them and you say, I think the world looks at certain people, even somebody like you, and they say, it just seems like it's just worked out well for Brian. <laughs> yeah. And what do you know? You know, it's, it, it's too Little they, do you know. They have no clue, number one, the, the work, the sweat, the tears, but they also don't understand that what you, I know you would say is by God's grace. You said it earlier. Yes, yes, yes. By the grace of God. Yeah. We've sought to be faithful. God has been gracious. And... I, I, I think of David 
He's he's looking around and he's worked hard. He's been faithful, but he looks around and says, "The lines have fallen in place. God, you've been good, and I've sought to be faithful. You've been good." Mm. Unfortunately, uh, we're running out of time here. What would be for the uh, curious person listening to this? What would be the first book to read? Maybe Matthew. Mm, yes, absolutely. I would tell them, a lot of people want to send folks to John. Um, it would be Matthew or Mark. Mark is, um, in fact, I probably lean a little more towards Mark these days because it's a book of action. It's a little smaller. It's a little shorter. Yeah. And it's and he immediately went. It's action-packed. It's fun. It moves quickly. So any of those Gospels are going to be good. I probably lean towards Mark. Mm, mm. So if anybody is wanting to learn more about Lenexa Baptist, how can they do that? Absolutely. So they can go to uh, lenexabaptist.com. That's our website. be a great place to um, check us out, get a little feel for who we are. Um, we do uh, worship services on Saturday night at 5 p.m. I love our Saturday night service. It's a little less formal, um, and that's where a lot of people uh, get a chance to check us out on the weekends. But uh, services on Sunday morning at 9, 30, 11. We have a campus in DeSoto downtown DeSoto. We're getting ready to launch a campus in Paola. Um, and we have Fellowship Olathe that is a church. We, we've done some revitalization. They're going to be launched out as an autonomous church. So it was a church that was dying, struggling. Uh, we helped them get back on their feet, and it's really fun. Then we launch them out as autonomous church. And so um, Pastor Jeremy's over there. Pastor Jeremy Allen's over there. They're doing a great job. That's another location that we're associated with. But yeah, uh, thank you, uh, uh, Bronson. Thank you so much for having me on. It's just a pleasure to call you a friend and get to know you. And thank you for your example of faithfulness and your leadership. Um, I look forward to more conversation. I know I can learn so much from you and just really appreciate you having me on. Thank you for coming on. This has been a huge blessing. 